0: Everyone to Takes by the Lake here on Cleveland.com. I'm Doug Maurice, our Friday attempt at a podcast getting up a little late here on Saturday morning. Something different. Something a little different with Takes. It's still about the Browns. It's still going to be about the Browns for a while. We may get to Cavs and Indians at some point. But I put this out to you guys, and we usually try to have um, different writers, different analysts uh, from the NFL, from Cleveland, talking about the Browns, talking about the NFL. This time I have three fans. I have three of you. Three interesting people articulating different views about the Browns. And I wanted to do this because I want you to hear somebody that sounds like you. And I know sometimes... Not sometimes, all the time. This podcast is about me getting people that agree with me. So I put out a call on Twitter. I said I want someone who loved the Browns draft. I want someone who hated the Browns draft. And then the third person is a very interesting person who did a great job, frankly, breaking down the entire franchise. So what we have is an attorney from Denver who grew up in Northeast Ohio. We have a pastor from California who grew up in Northeast Ohio. And a salesman from North Royalton who grew up in Northeast Ohio and wasn't allowed to root for the Browns when he was a kid. So um, we're bringing in Nicole Chatham, the lawyer from Denver. She's 34. We're bringing in Jonathan Dennis, the pastor from California. He's 29. And we're bringing in Mike Zawalski, the salesman from North Royalton. He's 60. And we're breaking down this draft and this team and what you think about the Browns. And I want you to hear this because these three people, and again, not to take anything away from them, but sometimes the bar is not high. They're smarter than me. All right. I got paid for this. They're fans. They did a great job breaking down the Browns. I want you to hear someone you agree with. Someone who loved the draft, someone who hated the draft, and then a person who's kind of in between on several different things about the whole franchise. So we're going to start with Nicole Chatham from Denver. I hope you enjoy this kind of different conversation here on Takes by the Lake. You can follow me on Twitter at Doug LeMaurice. You can read me uh, at cleveland.com, and you can listen to Takes by the Lake. Subscribe on Google Play. Subscribe on iTunes. We try to do it every Friday. We still may do two a week sometimes. I have some other good guests lined up for later. Um, But I want you to hear fans on this Takes by the Lake. And then when we're all done, I have something to say about an old friend before we leave. But first, Nicole Chatham. Our first guest this week is a woman I knew as Browns Babe, because that's who she is on Twitter. And now we know that she is Nicole Chatham. She is a Browns fan who lives in Denver. She's a 34-year-old attorney, and she was kind enough to join us on Takes by the Lake. So thank you, Nicole.
1: Sure. Thanks, Doug, for having me.
0: How did you come about to be a Browns babe on Twitter, by the way? How did you come up with that?
1: Um, You know, it was kind of just a spur-of-the-moment thing. I wasn't having a particularly creative moment it just um there's not a good story I wish there was it was just the first thing that popped in my head
0: Yeah, I like it. Well, I, I follow you on Twitter. I like to follow um, some fans on Twitter just to like see how people are, are reacting to things, what they're talking about. You're one of the people I follow, and so that's why I wanted to have you on Takes by the Lake. So I have some questions for you um, just about sort of the state of the franchise and where you are as a Browns fan right now. So, Nicole, my first question is your feelings about the Browns right now, how, how do they compare – to your feelings about the Browns in other times in your life as a fan? Like, do you, does this just sort of feel like, okay, well they stink and I hope they'll get better. Or do you feel any differently now than maybe you did in the past?
1: Well, I mean, I think the, the best time of, you know, my Browns fandom was definitely when I was um, a lot younger. um, And, we had Bernie Cozar and, you know, we were competing for AFC titles, and, you know, that was, for me at least, uh, the best time uh, to be a Browns fan, Yeah, um, and probably solidified my fandom because I have amazing memories of, you know, going to games um, with my dad and my grandpa or watching games with my dad and my grandpa, um, and then you're just kind of stuck, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: You grow up in Northeast Ohio, and it's a family tradition, and that's who you are. And um, my husband, this is terrible to admit, is actually a Broncos fan. Um, And we talk a lot about raising our future kids as Browns fans, um, which he thinks would be mean, and I think would build character.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe they'll be good again. Who knows? Maybe they'll be good again.
1: Yeah, and so that's what I was about to say. I I think right now I'm actually um, optimistic. I think for the last three years, I've been more optimistic than I have, you know, in, in quite a while. Okay. And so I think that's where I am now, you know, in comparison to the past when the narrative for me, at least, seem to be it doesn't really matter what we do. We just can't figure this thing out. Okay. I see a lot of talent on this roster right now, and and I continue to be optimistic despite the record the past two years.
0: So that's so the optimism for you is just based on the some of the guys they got in the draft. When you see Miles Garrett and you see this draft and you see you know Joe Shobert and some of these other guys, that's where your optimism comes from.
1: Yeah, I would say the vast majority of my optimism comes from the talent that I think okay. that we've we've put together. Um, obviously, not a whole lot um, of confidence in Hugh as a coach. Um, oh, you know, okay. and that, yeah. that's entirely based on record right now. Yeah, but, but I think talent is where the the majority of my optimism comes from.
0: And and before we move on to the next question that I have written down here, I wanted to ask you. I think you bring up a good point that I've heard a lot of fans express about how how bad the Browns have been for this stretch um, that you have fond memories growing up and watching good Browns teams with your family if you were a kid now do you think it'd be harder? Do you think that you know again you grew up in an era um, 30 25 years ago when when there were things to root for with the browns do you think if you were a kid now, and you were going to games with your dad and your grandpa, that it would be different when you're watching a team that's been losing every year?
1: Wow, that's a really good question. You know, I mean, as much as I remember better teams, I also remember heartbreak, right? Yep. yep. Um, you know, I think those losses to the Broncos um, – at the end of really hopeful happy seasons are some of my earliest memories from my childhood okay um and so you know there was heartbreak there and disappointment there and I think I still you know I think I loved sports and I loved football and and if you love football and you love sports and this is the team your family roots for um you know I think I would I think I probably would have ended up you know, being a Browns fan. Anyway, I mean, yeah. I was an Indians fan back then too, and they were terrible. Yeah. Um. So, so I think for me, it it's more a matter of family tradition mm-hmm. than anything else. So, yeah, I, I kind of think if, even if I were a kid now, but you know, that just might be me and my family. For the average kid, do I think it would be harder? Sure. I think I was a huge Browns fan and probably less of an Indians fan, and if you ask kids in, you know, in Northeast Ohio now, I bet you hear a lot of people say, you know, they're a Cavs fan first, and an mm-hmm. Indians fan second, and a Browns fan third, and and that's kind of an abrupt change from a town, in in a town where football used to come first.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I do believe, I think, you know, if if the Browns start winning, when the Browns start winning... Um, I think, you know, it'll come back immediately. I know some people have expressed the idea of like a lost generation of Browns fans that, that maybe there are kids who just get sick of it and become Steelers fans or become Patriots fans or whatever. Um, and I think you're right that that it's harder. Maybe you like the other Cleveland teams more, but that when there's a family connection, you know, if that's who your mom and dad like and that's who your grandparents and your aunts and your uncles and your cousins and the older people in your family, they grew up with the Browns. I think you grew up with the Browns. and So I, I still believe I don't believe that there's like a lost generation of Browns fans. I think I think they're there. Maybe they're hibernating a little bit. Maybe you don't wear as much Brown stuff because it's cool to wear a LeBron jersey and a Francisco Lindor shirt and an Indians cap. Um, and the Browns, you don't, you don't wear it as much. But I, I don't think that that there's going to be all these people that are just Steelers fans now and that's it. I think that, you know, when the Browns win, Northeast Ohio will be filled with Browns fans. So...
1: Um, I agree. I also think just to add briefly to that, that I think being a Cleveland sports fan is, is, is also, and always has been a little bit bigger than just sports. Mm -hmm. And, and I think right now Cleveland is going through a Renaissance and I think there's, there's just an aspect to hometown pride, um, that I, I think will play into the phenomenon that you're talking about, that if the Browns get good, it'll just be another thing about Cleveland that's getting better again. And, and I just think there's so much hometown pride right now, you know, not just in sports, but, you know, in, in breweries and businesses and, and things like that, that I think you're seeing a renaissance. And I think if the Browns join it, fans will, will get on board.
0: I think I agree with that. I agree with that. Number two, will, Baker Mayfield be a playoff quarterback for the Browns? Is he the guy that is the quarterback to lead a winning franchise?
1: Well, those are two different questions.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> answer both then.
1: Well, I think the answer to the first one is I don't know. And, and geez, I mean, I don't think anybody can make predictions you know unless they have magical abilities that I don't have Mm -hmm. um about whether or not Baker Mayfield is going to be a playoff quarterback um but do I think that if he stays healthy that he can be you know a very very good um NFL quarterback sure yes I believe that
0: did you like the pick or would you have picked someone else I,
1: I loved the pick um the second it was made, I called my dad um, in in Akron, and I believe I screamed, let's shake and bake, baby, into the phone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what it's all about. All the way from Denver, you're ready to shake and bake. Okay, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, I mean, I, obviously, he's a divisive figure, but I, I know they, you know, we're recording this on Friday, and they just started Rookie Minicamp, and I just think... I think already people are starting who didn't like him are starting to change their opinion on him because I think he's kind of a magnetic guy, and I think he's a good player, you know. And I think I think he's gonna. I think there's a lot of people who were in on Baker the minute they said his name, and I think he's gonna win over a large chunk of the people um, who weren't sure about the pick or hated the pick. I think he's gonna win over a chunk of those people pretty quickly.
1: I agree, and and I and I also also think, too, you know, not to disparage anyone in your profession. Oh, go ahead. Um, but, the <laughs> <laughs> but I think the divisiveness um, around a lot of these guys in the draft is a, can get a little manufactured. I mean, there's such a huge amount of time between the Super Bowl and the draft, and we have to talk about something, right? Absolutely. And so, you know, I felt the same way about you know a lot of the kind of manufactured divisiveness around Baker as I did about the controversy around Josh Josh Rosen. I just I think some of it is just you know we run out of things to talk about, mm-hmm. and to be really honest, stats don't create stories. Stats don't create narratives. Other things do that. And when you're trying to pull in the average fan and maybe not the super nerdy fan, um, you know, you need stories. And so we, we take tidbits of information that we know and we create narratives and it's really interesting to talk about. Um, but when it comes down to it, I mean, I, I think when you talk about, you know, is someone going to be successful as an NFL quarterback, I'm primarily looking at, you know, Ball placement and completion percentage and yards per attempt and you know, red zone turnovers and and things like that, you know. Um, not so much I don't know, a lot of the mushy mm-hmm. non specific things that I think end up getting talked about a lot during the draft.
0: I think I know why you're an attorney. You are <laughs> Breaking like it down, music. Nicole, yeah. man. <laughs> um, all right, number three, and I think I, this is really interesting to me. I, I've written a lot about this, and I'm wrapped up in it. I don't know how much fans are wrapped up in it or not, but you know, th- we, the Browns have been through a lot of regimes lately in the terms of the people in charge of the decision-making. So your view of the front office right now, of John Dorsey and the people building this roster... Is that any different than what you thought about Sashi Brown or what you thought about Joe Banner or Tom Hecker or Mike Holmgren or Michael Lombardi or the guys who made decisions here before or do you not care that much about the front office you just want to you know see who they pick and hope the players are good or or do you does your level of faith in the front office influence how you feel about the team and if so, what do you think of John Dorsey right now
1: yeah so I actually think. That's really important. Okay. Um, excuse me. And I think that I had a lot of faith in, in Sashi Brown and, and his whole team. Um, so not just Sashi, right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I think De Podesta and, you know, Andrew Barry, who's still there. um, You know, I look at the last two drafts and I I know it doesn't come through on the record. And so if you're a Browns fan, that's a little bit more casual and you're just really focused on how they make you feel on Sunday and wins and losses, then, you know, I get that you might not be a Sashi Browns fan. Um, but But like I said, I'm optimistic about the talent on the roster. And at this point, the vast majority of that talent that I'm optimistic about was accumulated by sashi brown and his team
0: Mm
1: -hmm. so um i don't want to kind of restart the hashtag sashi wars but (laughs) you know but i was a fan but that said so far you know i you know i'm not disappointed in you know what john dorsey did you know overall in this draft either and and i can be optimistic um about, about this current front office too. And I think he has also gone about establishing a really qualified team of people. Um, You know, Alonzo, Elliot, keeping Andrew Barry, you know, that I, and I look at the talent that was, you know, added in this draft. And I think, you know, okay, like I feel, I still feel optimistic. I still feel good. So, you know, I don't think you have to, I don't think if you liked Sasha, you have to dislike John Dorsey or, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I still feel pretty good about this front office, but I, you know, I think they have a huge impact. I think accumulation of talent is, you know, probably the most important job in the NFL. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the next important job fell, falls on the coaches and, and we'll see how that goes this year.
0: I've been accused by some of only having people on this podcast that I agree with, and I just agreed with everything you just said about that. So, too bad, people. I agree with her. Um, <laughs> let's move on to what you just mentioned. Number four, your level of faith in Hugh Jackson. Do you think um, he is a guy who, with when this roster has more talent, can coach a winning team, or... Uh, are you more on the side of you feel like, as maybe you have optimism about this roster? Do you maybe feel that Hugh would hold it back?
1: Um. Oh, such a loaded question.
0: Um. <laughs> Every question I ask, either to Hugh Jackson or about Hugh Jackson, is a loaded question. So yeah.
1: <laughs> so so here's where I'm at. I'm really happy with. The fact that we brought in Todd Haley mm-hmm. this year um, and, and added Ken Zampizzi. Not that I'm necessarily huge fans of, of either of them individually, but I do think it was a huge problem that Hugh was essentially serving as head coach, offensive corner, and quarterback's coach all at the same time. Yeah. Um, I just think that's too much for anyone's plate. Um, especially in an organization where you're also trying to, you know, revive it from the very, very basement, from the very, very ground up. I just think he bit off way more than really anyone could chew. Um, and, and so, I'm, again, I'm optimistic that adding Haley and Zampezi helps. I'm also optimistic that this year we drafted, you know, a senior quarterback, With way more starts and way more reps than Deshaun Kaiser, yep, um, who is way more accurate and doesn't need to completely overhaul his mechanics, and you know doesn't you know has seen way more defense. I mean, I'm going to get slammed for this because Big Twelve and they don't play defense, but he's seen way more defenses in his time starting for Texas Tech and and Oklahoma than Deshaun saw. Um, in in way fewer starts at at Notre Dame. I just think when you're drafting someone that's way more prepared, there's just way less work to do there, and then that work is now being spread out among three people instead of just one person. I just think inevitably that's a better setup. Um, So, I mean, I think that, first of all, and, you know, and and I think the one area where Hugh has succeeded, and maybe somewhat to my surprise, is the players, for, for the most part, seem to be invested and yep. behind him. And they seem to be working hard, and they seem to want to play for him. And while I may not necessarily understand that, given some of the comments that he made you know, publicly last year about player performance or player talent, it doesn't really, in the end, I guess, matter what I think about it. It matters what the players think about it and how the players interpreted it. And if, you know, if they're behind it and they're on board and they're invested and they're engaged and they're happy with their coach, then, you know, if he starts to put wins on the board, who am I to say that, that he's not the right guy?
0: Hard to argue. I mean, I think, I think that's the best thing in his corner um, is that idea that it, it does seem like guys play for him um, and he's going to have a competent quarterback uh, whether it's Tyrod Taylor or Baker Mayfield, much more competence at quarterback than they've had in his two years. And they're going to have much better receivers for all 16 games across the board. Um, so that's two things. He's an offensive guy, and he's going to have a lot more to work with on offense. Um, I think your points about the guys he added to the staff are absolutely vital. Um, so, you know, I would have fired Hugh Jackson after two years. I've said that, I've written that, but but there's no point in in just sitting around and waiting for that now. I'm very curious to see um, if he can look like a very different coach on Sundays, especially in year one. I thought Hugh Jackson was a pretty good coach Monday through Saturday, and then the questions were on Sunday, right, with the game plan and how they use guys and yanking quarterbacks in and out um, and, and that kind of thing. Um, but I think, you know, he did, for, for a team that lost more than any team's ever lost, um, seemingly held it together a little bit. So I think I agree with you there, too. Uh, last question. I think this is like an important thing in moving forward. Going one and thirty-one, the way they did, um, oh. did you did you just hate it and wonder why they did it, or with where the Browns are now, for lack of a better phrase, would you deem it worth it that getting that going one and thirty-one, if it got them Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett and Nick Chubb and Emmanuel Ogba, was it worth it?
1: I mean I can hate it and still appreciate what we get out of it right yep. mm-hmm. and I, and I think that's where I am. I mean of course I hated it. I was grouchy every week for the entire season and completely unproductive on Sunday afternoons because I was so grouchy. It sucked. Losing sucks. Um but do will I be will I be able to live with it will I look back and say you know if that's what had to happen then I'm okay with it yeah if we win sure sure if that's what it took to you know get the to completely overhaul this team yeah and to completely overhaul the talent on this team and for 3 years to have great draft position and to bring in really talented players and to just completely change the team. If that's what it took and not just if that's what it took, but if, if that pays off, right? Because it has to pay off. Um, but if it does, then sure. Um, but, but I think again, it's just a lot of optimism right now and faith that the talent that we drafted um, is going to come together that guys are actually going to reach their full potential, that guys are actually going to be able to stay on the field and stay healthy, um, that they're going to put it all together, that we're going to have the right coaching staff that coaches them up, that puts good game plans in on Sunday, um, and and that they win, right? It all comes down to that. Listen, I mean, I think if you asked most Brown fans, they would tell you that winning will fix everything. Mm -hmm. Everything will be forgiven.
0: I think that's right. And I and I do know that, uh, you know, a, a lot of people have made comparisons to the Philadelphia 76ers and what they went through to get where they are now. And they had an empty arena and frustrated fans. But, you know, nobody's complaining now. But like you said, it has to work. You know, if, if all this leads to a bunch of six and 10 seasons, then, then no, it wasn't worth it. Um, but um, I, I do know there are some people who feel like you know, why did you have to bottom out like that to get to this point? Couldn't you have just you know tried to do it on the fly a little bit more and and not been so awful? Maybe be five and eleven, six and ten. And I say they were five and eleven, six and ten for fifteen years, and it didn't get them anywhere. So um, I'll tell you what, Nicole. Whenever you want to give up the law and become a, a sports writer or a full-time podcaster, let me know.
1: Um, <laughs> well, I really appreciate that. That uh, was really good.
0: Thanks. So that's uh, your Nicole Chatham, originally from Akron, now in Denver. Um, what do you do when you watch games on Sunday, Nicole? Do you just you watch them in your house, or is there a Browns bar in Denver that you go to, or what do you do?
1: Oh, no, I, I watch them at home. I I don't like to expose other people to the number of expletives that I scream <laughs> at the TV during Browns games. <laughs>
0: man all right i'm coming to your house some sunday that sounds fun um, <laughs> yes, my husband
1: makes really good chicken wings
0: <laughs> nicole thank you so much for taking time out of your day i think i just wanted to get some input for some uh, from some browns fans um about where the franchise is and i think you're a really good follow to get the uh the view of the browns fans on twitter so thanks for your help and hopefully we can talk again sometime
1: all right. Well, I really appreciate Doug, and and thank you uh, so much for for having me on. This has been a lot of fun.
0: All right, that was fan number one. Fan number two is going to be Mike Zawalski. He's a salesman from North Royalton. He did not like the draft. He is not uh, someone who would have chosen Baker Mayfield. Um, he is not particularly thrilled with the draft as a whole, and. I'm glad Mike came on. He said he's not on Twitter a lot, but he gave a good answer uh, when I put out the call for someone who hated the draft, and I thought he did a very interesting job. If you disagree with me a lot about the Browns, I think you will like to hear what Mike Zawalski from North Royalton has to say, talking about the Browns draft with someone who did not like it. We are happy to be joined by Mike Zawalski, a Browns fan from North Royalton, celebrating his 60th birthday, and he's joining us on Takes by the Lake. So, Mike, thank you for your time.
2: You're welcome, Doug.
0: I put out the call on Twitter. I was trying to get people who really loved this Browns draft and people who really did not like this Browns draft, and Mike, you said you did not really like it that much. But before we get into the specifics of that, how did you come to be a loyal Browns fan?
2: Well, that's a that's an interesting question. Actually, when I was growing up as a as a young kid here in Cleveland, um, I was not allowed to root for the Browns. Really? My, yeah, my grandfather could not forgive Art Modell for firing Paul Brown. And he, my grandfather claimed that Jim Brown uh, never blocked. <laughs> so we, we grew up um, not being allowed to overtly uh, root for the Browns. And I kind of wandered around as a kid. I, I kept scrapbooks of all the NFL uh, teams. Um, but once, uh, once I got older, uh, my father uh, said, Hey, you know, you live in Cleveland, you got to root for Cleveland. Okay. And that was about the time that I I embraced the Browns and all that they stood for and the the same uniforms year after year after year, which I thought was very cool. And um, that's kind of how I got started.
0: Very cool. That's a great story, man. That is a great story. Um, Okay, so now we know what we're dealing with here, Mike. And so we're going to dive in. I have the same questions for you and for uh, a fan who loved the draft. And so the first question—the first question—is of course about the number one pick, Baker Mayfield. I'm assuming, you know, we corresponded a little bit on Twitter. You didn't like the Baker pick. What did you not like about the Baker Mayfield selection?
2: Well, you can't teach six five two thirty five like Josh Allen.
0: Yeah, um, I think that.
2: Mayfield has a really quick release. I think he w- works the pocket well. He's got a lot of different launch points. I, I think he is a good quarterback. I'm I- I just not quite sure that he translate. He's going to be able to translate that to the NFL in the middle of December. Mm-hmm. The wind coming off the lake. Um, you know, Josh Allen. I was I was pining for Josh Allen. You can improve his. Well, hopefully, you can improve his accuracy by his footwork. He just needs to learn how to play the position. I think right now, Baker Mayfield's probably the better quarterback. But I'm not worried about right now. I want to know what's going to happen in three to five years, <clears throat> um, and, and I think the ceiling was much better, much higher uh, for Josh Allen.
0: So then, when you see like Josh Allen go to Buffalo, which obviously uh, killed me, you just—he's I mean, yeah. going
2: to be—that's the—I won't say that's the perfect position for him, but uh, a cold—a a cold weather team like mm-hmm. that, which is a, you know just 100, 100 miles up the coast, uh, the Lake Erie coast, you know, the, I think that was a perfect fit right there. I don't—I'm I'm not quite sure why he couldn't be here, but that's you know that's it's water in the bridge at this yeah. point. Yeah.
0: So what do you do? And I'm, I'm just curious about this. Um, Mike, when, when you're in a situation like that if you kind of want a certain guy and then your team your team takes a different guy, how will you approach Baker Mayfield now, now that he is a Brown?
2: I, I'm not sure yet. Um, you know, I, I know enough to know that I don't know enough to know more than the guys who drafted him. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're and it's been reported that John Dorsey said that, you know, he was, that Baker Mayfield was going to be his quarterback even before the, the, the he got it, he got a job. So, um, I, I, I have to somewhat, I, I, don't say trust him, but I've got to, I've got to know that I'm just, you know, I'm just a guy sitting here in, in the suburbs of Cleveland. That guy makes his living at it. So he better darn well be right. Um, So I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to go down that. I don't think Baker Mayfield's a bad quarterback. Mm -hmm. I I don't think that at all. I just think that what was on the board when they took him represented a a much higher value. So I think Baker Mayfield could be uh, a good quarterback. I just think Josh Allen's going to be has the potential to be much better. You just sort of have that,
0: yeah. And that would be that's one of those things when you see your team. Pass on a guy that you liked, it's like, well, you know, if you're going to root for your team, you root for your team. But you're going to have that – you might have 10 years of that in the back of your head or the knot in your stomach feeling like, oh, if Allen hits in Buffalo, that's always going to bug you a little bit. Yes, yeah, absolutely. All right, number two then is the rest of the draft. What did you think of Denzel Ward? What did you think of Nick Chubb and Austin Corbett in the second round? What did you think of the draft as a whole beyond just Baker?
2: Um, well, I, I think Denzel Award was a, a surprise to everybody. Yep. Uh, I think Mika Fitzpatrick was, was graded, uh, as you know, could play safety, could play corner uh, he plays for Alabama, which is, you know, the 33rd NFL team anyway. Um, <laughs> right. uh, and, and so again, um, those guys make their living at this and they've got, you know, they've got a big, bigger stake in it than I do. Uh, the rest of the draft, uh, I don't know anything about the kid out of Nevada. Yeah, um, the rest of the draft just seemed somewhat mundane. I guess what bothered me a little bit is, again, we've got the kid from Florida with character issues, and I don't mean to put that all on him. It just, I'm not sure that this team, I'm not sure that the fans are ready for this team to deal with anything except putting the best ball players um, out there. And I don't want to hear anything more. I mean, we've got Josh Gordon, which is a whole story unto itself. I just want to watch football. I want to watch good football. I want to watch winning football. I do not want to have to worry about any off the field issues, any investigations, any controversy. It's been that way for you know a long time, and I just, I just want to watch an NFL team, which I haven't been able to watch. You know, in in uh, uh, burnt orange and seal brown uh for you know quite a long time
0: yeah no i i I get that that it it is it's just something that hangs over it hangs over the draft it hangs over the team a little bit you know that um and that's the whole point of this it's why i have this job it's why you like the browns it's we're all here for fun you know we're we're sort of in a guy like me is in the business of fun and and you're trying to you know enjoy your sunday um, and it's th- that kind of stuff is not that fun, Mike. Right? I mean, like no, no one loves that part of it.
2: Exactly, and you know the inter- the, the competition for my entertainment dollar mm-hmm. uh, keeps getting you know uh, uh, keeps getting higher and higher. Yep. It, you know, there's a lot of things that I could do, and i've I've been watching I've been watching football for a long time. There's not a lot that surprises me. I love the competition. I love the games on Friday nights, Saturday afternoons i got to tell you, of the three, Sunday, Sunday afternoons is starting to fade a little bit, only mm-hmm. because I really don't like the rules um, uh, that the game has adopted over the last few years. Um, I'm a little old school, um, and I just want to watch football, and the NFL has become more of an enter- entertainment masquerade yeah. sport than anything.
0: It's very interesting. I, I, I get that. I get that, Mike. Um, third question. You've been a Browns fan for a long time. The Browns, in some way, have been down the same road again and again and again. You know, years where you had multiple first-round picks. When you think about this draft and the way you feel about it, does this feel the same to you as drafts of the past, or does this feel any different? You know, we're talking about Trent Richardson and Brian Whedon or or Justin Gilbert and Johnny Manziel. Does this feel like the just the next thing of here we go again with the Browns trying to get it right in the draft, or is this a different feeling at all?
2: Well, I have to say I was uninspired by this draft. I felt a little cheated again. Um, I, I Somehow I just can't imagine passing on Saquon Barkley. Um, you know, he's, he's an instant part of your offense, which we don't, we haven't had for, you know, quite a long time. I, I guess I just feel like there was, there, there could have been so much more, mm-hmm. um, in regards to the draft, um, you know, I, I don't think, uh, it's, I, I do not think it's fair and I don't think it's accurate to compare Baker Mayfield to Johnny Manziel. Okay. They're, they're different, um, you know, I, I think uh, even though we had two first rounds and they were a quarterback and a cornerback, uh, I think Denzel Ward is is a much more known quantity, and and uh, they took the time to get to know him, unlike the previous time.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I
2: think if you sit back and and look at it, uh, I, I I'm I'm hopeful that it's more than what they've been in the past. Okay. Because hopefully we have really good f- football people in there. Uh, you know, Alonzo Highsmith, and uh, I can't think of the guy's first name. His last name was Wolf. Yeah, and Elliot Wolf. I mean, yep. Yeah, Elliot Wolf. They all come highly regarded. Um, so I've I've got to put some faith in that. But based on I think what could have been this draft seems uninspiring.
0: And was there a draft in in the past that you that you really liked? What like, was there a year where you were like, oh boy, like, I, you know I don't even know what. Or, or do you feel like m- much of the time, and you know, frankly, I mean, the, re- the reason the Browns are in this spot is because they've failed in the draft again and again for the most part. Was there a draft that you liked or did you just feel most years like, man, they should have done better than that?
2: Yeah. Well, the problem with the Browns is not only do they their their draft is they draft poorly, but I don't know that they will I don't know that they have a first round draft pick on their roster for over the last you know five or so years. I mean,
0: yeah, that's the competitive that's the competitive disadvantage the Browns are
2: at. Not that they you know haven't been trying, but their their first round draft picks have been have worked out horribly. Yep. Um, you know, I do remember being excited about uh, Courtney Brown. Uh, okay. That guy was just—I, I, it was so sad that he got injured so often and yeah. couldn't stay on the field. But coming out of Penn State like that, oh my God, that guy was—you know—that was. You know, that was I thought that was the end-all, be-all at the time. Unfortunately, it didn't work out, and I don't think it was because he wasn't talented or didn't try. He just was injury-prone after he got here and couldn't stay on the field.
0: You do hope. I mean, that can be the thing to to, to think back to that time when they went quarterback, defensive end, with consecutive number one picks. and, And obviously, again, Brown was injured, and Couch just got thrown into a situation where he didn't have a lot of help. You know, th- that I think is an interesting comparison for what's going on right now with Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield. And if this is a second shot at that, and maybe, you know, a lot of this, Mike, the Browns have had a lot of bad luck with this. They've made a lot of, they've done a lot of things that they created their own misery, right? Like they just screwed it up.
2: Yes, that's true.
0: But they've had bad luck too, you know, and like maybe, you know, if, if Brown had been healthy and, and Couch had had a couple breaks. Things could have gone differently. Maybe you see an opportunity for Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield to be the best version of that when Couch and, and Brown didn't work out that well. Even like Trent Richardson, which is a pick that is often is so criticized, I think most teams would have done what the Browns did in that spot, and then we see Ezekiel Elliott and Leonard Fournette and, and Todd Gurley and Saquon Barkley and all these other backs going high. Well, the Browns tried that, and it just so happened they got the guy— it was a bust. But if they had gotten Ezekiel Elliott, you know, I mean, if, if if Ezekiel Elliott had been in that draft instead of Trent Richardson, that's who the Browns would have taken at that point.
2: Yeah, and that's it, true. And I, I I don't know how Richardson missed that yeah, badly. Um, I, somebody missed something. Uh, you know, although everybody uh, thought that that was a great pick, nobody saw the the lack of production yep. coming. But there was a there was a deep deep disconnect. Uh, between Trent Richardson and the NFL, and, and that that was just uh, – <laughs> oh, that made everybody shake their heads and yeah. go, what?
0: Yeah, bad yeah, memories. So,
2: I don't know what happened.
0: It now. is. It's one of those things. It's like, do you, do you believe when the Browns have so many things go wrong, it, it, does it, do you sort of believe, well, it's going to be another thing that goes wrong, or do you believe, my God, at some point it's got to <laughs> turn around? This city and this franchise has had enough bad luck for 10 franchises. Maybe something will go right. Um,
2: yeah, I, you know, there's always that hope, and and I yeah. think that's one of the things that um, you know uh, keeps a lot of Browns fans coming mm-hmm. back, and yeah. especially in this area, um, you know, if you're a Browns fan, you've earned it. Yes, and we 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 really don't give up. I mean, I've walked away from that team at least 15 times in the last you know 15 years. I'm not watching that. There's no way. I the yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then it'll be in the middle of the Sunday afternoon and I'll be, you know, I'll turn it on for a quarter. No, nah, <laughs> I can watch it. Yeah, I'll watch it. And then, and then I go back to the same old thing where I'd be sitting on a couch for three hours, you know, just living and dying with every first down, et cetera. Yep. So.
0: I just think at some point, you know what, because you've got to do it right, right? I mean, the franchise has the chance to do it right. But sometimes in all sports, franchises get things right Because they're lucky, because you couldn't screw up, because everybody would have done what you did, and there was an obvious answer, and it worked. Or, you know, something – and I just feel like on some level, it's time for a little luck in Cleveland. Even if you still question the decision-making and the decision-makers, maybe luck will be on your side. And that's my fourth question Um, for you is is just the idea of John Dorsey running the show now you mentioned Alonzo Highsmith and Elliot Wolf. this whole front office I'm just always fascinated by how much the front office with the Browns gets talked about because I think fans understand you know these are the guys making the real decisions what is your level of faith in John Dorsey and this front office do you like these guys being in charge or do you have a lot of questions about them considering they've only been here for one offseason
2: well, the, the short time that they've been here, um, I like a lot of what they did. And okay. I think one of the things that we have to take into consideration is most of the football fans in northeast Ohio are very, very knowledgeable. Yep. I, I mean, in some markets, you can kind of think, well, you know, that's not really, you know, those folks really don't. Eh, I'm not sure I, I, they know what they're talking about. In Northeast Ohio, in Ohio in general, I mean, it's 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 the birthplace of, of the NFL, and, and high school football is king, and it's not quite like Texas and California, but still, the the, the fans here are very very knowledgeable. Um, so I think having the, the current front office, uh, I think most folks feel confident. Mm-hmm. I think we were expecting a bigger payoff in the draft this past draft so now we're kind of questioning well is this you know is this sashi brown version uh you know uh 2.0 right
0: right. i really
2: don't think so okay um but um it it has the same feel but you know if you if you put those the resumes of the guys who are in there now next to the resumes of the guys who've been here you know over the last or you know 10 years or so and actually since the browns came back yeah. This is the most football, this appears to be the most football savvy group. And, you know, if, they're, if they seriously watch film and they seriously scout and all that, I don't know that you can ask much more from them. And Dorsey's track record hasn't been, you know, has been pretty good. Um, you know, he traded for Alex Smith. He he uh, drafted Kareem Hunt, which who was yep. the, I think if he wasn't the rookie, uh, uh, offensive rookie of the year, he at least led the, um, you know the AFC or the NFL in yeah. rushing. I mean, Great there's year. a lot good there, good track record. That's the issue. The the, the folks we have had here, especially very recently, don't have a track record. Mm-hmm. Dorsey and his group have a track record. So at some point, I'm just going to have to, you know, say, okay, guys, you know, show me. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I'm willing to go, uh, but I, I just I just wonder about what what could have been. And I really hope that in two, three, four years, we're all looking back and saying, "Boy, were we stupid?" We, you know, these guys have done great, and uh, you know, Baker Mayfield's uh, uh, playing in the Pro Bowl, and and um, uh, Denzel Ward is a shutdown corner, and you know, uh, um, they, his nickname is Primetime, and, and that type of thing. So, uh, I'm <laughs> yeah. hoping, I'm hoping that that's the case.
0: Okay. All right. Last question, then, Mike, and this is just like sort of the overall thing. It's mostly to me about the roster, because I know that it, it is easy to spend a lot of time on the front office and on, on Hugh Jackson. Um, but just the whole thing, when you think about the Browns right now, with the young players they have, the roster overall, the guys they got in the draft and in free agency, um, coached by Hugh Jackson, led by this front office, owned by Jimmy Haslam, like, do you feel hopeful? Do you feel pretty good? Do you feel like the same you felt for the last 10, 15 years? Like, what is just your overall view of the Browns and especially the the players on the roster right now?
2: Well, when when John Dorsey came in and made all of the or made some of these free agent uh, pickups and in, in the, the the machinations that he did before that, I thought that that had uh, Todd Haley and Greg Williams written all over that. Mm. The, the three of them and and, and and the front office sat down and said, "Okay, what do you need? What do you need? What do you want? What do you want?" okay, I got that for you. I got that for you. Here you go. I don't think he, to me, Hugh Jackson was just kind of the the guy outside the door trying to listen in. Um, I, I think the, I think the roster now is markedly better than it was after the, you know, after the end of the season, um, how many wins that translates into, um, uh, it's it's really hard to tell. The problem, the the, the one issue I have is that I think the Browns were the youngest team in the NFL last year. So when we add more rookies, we're just continuing to be a young team. Yeah. And I think Dorsey has tried to find some balance as far as getting some, um, you know, professional ball players in there who've who won some games and know what it's like to be and have 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 a little bit of experience. But I don't know that we're far enough down the road that we're still not going to be victimized by having young players at a lot of positions
0: yeah and just to to follow up on that having lived through this one in 31 um what like that's
2: crazy that that number just i I just i have a hard time just fathoming so like
0: is there any way in your mind that like it could be worth it or do you just think it was crazy that this franchise like had to live through that to try to to try to eventually improve
2: no, that's crazy that this that we that we're one in thirty one over two years. That that's there's no there's no uh, model. There's no plan. There's no benefit to to tearing a franchise down to that level it's that you know so we got the first the first pick in the draft I I, I would I, from now on I hope we never have the first pick in the draft mm-hmm. that you know would that, that the minimum expectation is uh, eight and eight and you know or more in the playoffs I, I I can't I can't imagine asking a fan base to go to support a team uh, that's one and 31 because you want the first draft pick in the 2018 draft that's that's just crazy um I I think the folks in the front office did what they thought was right I just think they were completely wrong
0: Mike Zawalski man you're a podcast expert that was awesome (laughs) thank you for doing that um we uh we we all hope and and I think I think there in the end I think the, the final thing of this to me is that I think there are some seeds of hope and there's no guarantee it's going to work, Mike. We know that. Um, but I think, I hope that Browns fans, um, and I think that like the fans have been forced to be divided because the franchise has been divided for the past two years. I hope that in general, um, fans can come together a little bit and, and in their own ways find some hope and that maybe this season is, is the beginning of something that there will be some more wins on the field. Um, and it's not just... Wins that get you to six and ten or seven and nine, maybe, but wins that that you make you say, you know what? I I feel like maybe this could be, you know, a playoff team in a couple of years. I I hope that's where we're headed for everyone like you and everyone who's been through this.
2: If no other fan base has more hope than Cleveland Browns fans.
0: I'll tell you, that, you are right, Mike Zawalski from North Royalton. Thank you so much for joining us on Takes by the Lake.
2: All right, very good. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, we're going to get to our final fan here now on takes by the lake. Jonathan Dennis, a pastor from Woodlake, California, grew up in Cleveland from about the age of uh, six or seven, and he loved the draft. He loved everything about it. He represents that side of things. Mike clearly represented the not liking the draft, and I thought Natalie um, was kind of a fan that was kind of in between. And so um, Jonathan was really good. Again, this this is a guy who's on the internet, talking with Browns fans a lot, very knowledgeable about the team. So if you love the draft, I think you'll relate to Jonathan Dennis from Woodlake, California on Takes by the Lake. Our next guest here on Takes by the Lake, Jonathan Dennis, is representing the fans who loved this Browns draft. Jonathan is 29 years old. He's a pastor in Woodlake, California, Grew up in Cleveland when he moved here when he was about six or seven. And, um, Jonathan, how would you describe how important the Browns are in your life while you're living out there in California?
3: It's a great way to stay in touch with family and friends who are still in the area. I get to hear about them going to games or different things happening to have have family and friends who uh, have decided that the team is various Cleveland teams have hurt them too much to forgive uh, and and who now kind of cheer not against but they, they, they kind of understand that things fall apart and try to take joy in that and then I have other friends who are desperately in love with Cleveland teams still so it's it's not something that I depend on for my happiness but it's something that's a a really nice thing to get to stay in touch with folks and something to uh get to take my mind off a little bit of other things
0: okay okay very good so you said you like this draft my first question for you then is what did you like about the Baker Mayfield pick why did you like that
3: yeah I love the Baker Mayfield pick because it seems to me to be a uh a case where they made a decision that's outside of some norms i mean obviously he's shorter than your usual quarterback he's got uh he's coming out of an air raid type offense different things like that but they they seem to have made the pick because he is that meeting point between the analytics side, the numbers, and then the football guy side, the traditional scouting, kind of getting guys in the room as we're reading, uh, as I'm reading interviews with Alonzo Highsmith and Elliot Wolf and John Dorsey after the draft, it, it seems like they kind of came the, to the consensus that on film, they thought he was probably the best guy, maybe Darnold up there with him, um, but then as they got him in the room, they realized that his understanding of the playbook his ability um, to to diagnose what was going on in a play both with his team but then also on the defensive side and how to check in and out of things they they loved his leadership his personality and, and I just feel like but what's the old saying? For, for a, such a time and place as this, I, I, I feel like it's not the greatest situation in the world. You've, you've still got Hugh there. You're coming out of a 1-31 in 31 season. It, it's going to take a special personality to just say, hey, I am here. I'm going to be the leader, and we are going to get through this and go out on the other side and get some wins. Um, And I think he just seems to be a a great fit between the analytics guys who said, man, look at the completion percentage. Look at how accurate he was. Look at how good he was when he was under pressure. Look at how good he was um, when he was on play action or or in the red zone or so on and so forth. And then kind of the traditional football scouting of how is his attitude? How how is his heart? How much does he love the game? How does he inspire the people around him? And it really seems like he kind of came out as number one in both of those estimations. And I'm glad that they didn't just say, "Well, he's too short." So even yeah. though we like him the best, both on the field and off, we're we're gonna we're gonna go with one of the taller guys just for the sake of them being taller.
0: The one thing, Jonathan, and I know our uh, Mary Kay Cabot here at Cleveland.com reported that there were other teams that had Baker Mayfield um, at the top of their draft board, but I think it's probably fair to say that the the quarterback who was on top of the the greatest number of draft boards was Sam Darnold. The the idea that you articulated very well how the Browns arrived at Baker Mayfield and why you liked their process. The idea that maybe more than half the other teams would have taken Sam Darnold. Do you care... Does that influence you at all? Do you care what other teams would have done? Like, do you like the idea that maybe the Browns did something different? Or I think some people who, like, don't like this pick would say, why are the Browns out thinking themselves Darnold was the pick? Take the guy that most teams would have taken. Where? Do, how does that affect your thinking at all?
3: Yeah, I don't think it really affects it much one way or the other. Um, Teams have been losing at football for decades without my help. (laughs) I I mean, just because a team is doing it doesn't mean it's the right decision. I mean, when we look at the draft for the last 20 plus years, you see that even the good teams are only succeeding on what, 10, 15 percent more picks than the, the middle of the pack teams and then those are maybe 10 percent better than the bad teams There are gonna be good picks and bad picks and you just have to go with what you like and get to the best I didn't dislike Darnold Um, I actually moderate a a sports forum for Browns fans online and so we had plenty of debates and discussions back and forth on this topic and I didn't hate Darnold at all but I, I felt like every quarterback in this class had strengths that the other ones didn't and had weaknesses that the other ones didn't. So Baker was more accurate than the other quarterbacks. Josh Rosen was maybe a little better with the mental processing. Mm-hmm. Sam Darnold was better at, at, at improvising, at getting stuff off outside of the pocket. Josh Allen was taller and had a stronger arm, I guess. Um, I was never really on board with that one. Yeah. But, but they all had weaknesses, too none of the others are under six foot two like baker is um sam darnold had a lot of interceptions and fumbles uh rosen has concussion issues and shoulder surgery that maybe the others weren't worrying about and, and so i feel like when it got down to it you had to had to decide what you as a team cared about the most where were the things where you just could not do without that element And where were the things where maybe you weren't as worried as others? And it seems like the Browns basically said, you know what? We're not as worried about the height. Uh, We've talked to him and figured out that his one cop incident in Oklahoma running for the cops was a one-time dumb mistake by a kid. It's not uh, a pattern of his character. He's not Johnny Menzel. He does not have substance abuse issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And they basically said, you know what? We can deal with those weaknesses in exchange for the, the accuracy, the ability to throw from different arm platforms, and the uh, just the overall leadership and attitude and willingness to come in and say, I'm going to make the people around me better no matter what.
0: Question number two, Jonathan. The rest of the draft, Denzel Ward, Austin Corbett, Nick Chubb on down. What did you like about that?
3: Yeah, um, Denzel Ward is a special athlete. Uh, dude, dude. Tested in like the 99th percentile for being an athlete. But then when you look at him on film, he's just – It's hard to find great press man corners coming out in the draft with the way that so much college football has kind of sunk back into zone. It's easier to teach guys that. And so when you find a guy who is already in college a special press man cornerback, that's a pretty great thing. And I think when we look at the pass rushers last year, I think I saw a stat that when Ogba and uh, Garrett were on the field together, they were only on the field together for two and a half games, Mm -hmm. and yet they got like six sacks between them, when they were on the field. They really suffered from when one of them was hurt and the other wasn't, not having a second good pass rusher. But then they also suffered from the fact that Williams, I mean, I wasn't a fan of the Angel defense Mm -hmm. with Peppers 40 yards off the line, but, you know, that's his job and not mine, Uh, and he basically said, hey, I didn't have the corners to pull off press coverage, which meant that quarterbacks almost always had some sort of quick breaking route open because you weren't pressing anybody ever. So, if you get cornerbacks who can handle press man coverage, and then all of a sudden you've got Garrett and Ogba, who are both fantastic athletes, and Garrett, obviously, is a, a fantastic overall pass rusher I think Ward makes a lot of sense for them to to kind of reinforce the pass rush oddly enough by reinforcing the, the coverage. Giving those pass rushers an extra half second to get home might make a big difference um, Beyond that, it, it was just I wasn't blown away by any of the picks, but mm-hmm. I just thought they all made at least some degree of sense. Yeah, uh, Even even Corbett. Corbett was the one dur- during the draft. I went, what in the world is going on here? We're taking a guard. But then looking more into him, it kind of seems like they they figure, well, we'll try him at tackle. Uh, if he doesn't work out at tackle, he can kick into either center or guard. Yeah. And the thing is, injuries happen in the league. And when we look at it, center is kind of a giant question mark this year. We've got three or four guys, but who knows if any of them are going to be good Treader kind of underperformed last year. Uh, And and even at guard, you've got maybe Durango as a good backup. Um, But outside of them, you don't have really good depth at tackle, it seems. You could use somebody who's solid at center. It makes sense. Nick Chubb makes sense, especially if they think that Carlos Hyde's deal is actually going to end up being a one-year deal, Mm -hmm. which it kind of seems like picking Chubb. They're thinking, well, we'll get out from under hides money next year that was one thing i loved about the offseason was that all these free agents other than one or two of them i think they all were basically one-year deals disguised as multiple-year deals that was cool yeah and all the other picks you know callaway when you get into the fourth fifth sixth seventh rounds you're just throwing darts at a board yeah so at that point throw a dart at a guy who has really high potential and if it doesn't work out you cut him and you move on so that was kind of the case with Callaway, with uh, Simeon Thomas, was a small school cornerback who tested really, really well athletically and has some really good tape and run support, especially. So maybe that's a guy they're thinking about developing as a slot corner uh, to play in, inside in this new NFL where you're playing nickel half the time. Um, and I, I loved the Gennard Avery pick. Mm-hmm. That's a guy who produced out the ha- he just produced and produced and produced uh, and he produced as an undersized egg rusher we're now at the next level. He's probably going to be a strong side linebacker that you can blitz, and he knows how to rush. He's not an off ball linebacker from college that you have to teach how to pass rush. He's a guy who's done both both jobs already. So I, I just I, I wasn't blown away by any one pick, but between the the Mayfield pick and the Ward pick, and then everything else, just kind of making sense.
0: I, I liked it a lot. Jonathan, just one thing going forward as we hit some more of these questions. Try not to sound so much smarter than me, okay? (laughs) Just like, dial it back. I'm supposed to be the guy who gets paid for this stuff. You are breaking it down, man. I like it, Jonathan. Good stuff.
3: I I, I, I love the team. And and this is, I mean, like I said, this is kind of my hobby. This is a fun thing to stay connected to friends and family. And I have some guys that I stay connected to on the forum and other places who are also, they're probably smarter than I am. And so I have to try to keep up with
0: them. Nice. I like smart fans. Um, Three, have you felt this good about a draft before? When you when you think back about I don't know the 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 Trent Richardson Brandon Whedon draft or Joe Thomas and Brady Quinn or Justin Gilbert and Johnny Manziel or did you love Barkevius Mingo or Danny Shelton <laughs> you know everybody it's obviously we know how this works your your team is bad they have a high pick they pick somebody who certainly that night seems pretty good most of the time have you felt like this before. Or do you feel like this is a little bit different in your mind?
3: This is definitely different in my mind. Um, I, I'm a person who the quarterback is what matters. Mm-hmm. You, you, can, you can compete for one or two years without a good quarterback. You can put together a defense uh, that is that is good enough to get you even to the Super Bowl for a year. And that's great congratulations to the teams that have done that but the afc has been represented by one of three quarterbacks for like 20 years now yep uh, it's been roethlisberger manning or brady in the super bowl pretty much every year except for when joe flacco clearly sold his soul to the devil <laughs> uh, for a year because because yeah. something faded real fast there in these ne- the next few years so i, I just feel like it's qu- about quarterback and with all the quarterbacks we've taken in the last 15 years i i I was too young to have an opinion on Tim couch, but Mm. but thinking back on him and watching stuff, it really seems like he was a guy who might've been good. Um, but the surrounding cast was so bad that he just got broken those first few years by it. Um, but ever since then, I mean, I was never excited about Charlie Fry, Jeff Garcia, Colt McCoy, any of the lower round dart, dart throws that they had. And of the three first round guys, uh, our our cursed number twenty two pick, um, jo- Johnny Manziel. Even at the time, I said, you know what? He's a boomer bust. But but I don't see the things. I don't see the things that translate into NFL success consistently. When I I look at the quarterbacks in the league who succeed consistently year to year, week to week, it's the ones who are accurate and who can break down a defense and, and, and who can make small movements in the pocket to get open to make that throw. It's the guys who make the throws that they're supposed to make over and over and over again. It's not necessarily the ones who make a crazy highlight play every game that makes you go wow that's awesome it's the ones who make the the plays that don't get on the highlights over and over and over again and I felt like Manziel was not that guy he he was the highlight play street baller and I kind of always felt like once he got to a higher level that wasn't going to work out as well for him um Brady Quinn I was kind of nonplussed about one way or the other I, I didn't love him I didn't hate him uh, i loved i was i was a joe thomas and calvin johnson guy okay. that year i i wanted to make sure we got somebody awesome and so break break i was like oh yeah okay sure this is this looks good um but that and then uh brandon weedon obviously <laughs> i think brandon weedon was older than i was uh and i had graduated college a year or two before at that point so yeah. I, <laughs> that, that one from the beginning i was like wait we're we're spending a a first round pick on a guy who is seven years older than most of his competition. I mean, I would kind of expect him to be pretty decent in those circumstances. Yeah. So I have never been excited about a quarterback that we've picked this way before. I've i had guys where I'm like, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good dart throw. Okay. I don't think I've ever had a guy before where I said, you know what? I really think this is going to work out. I really think that given a coaching staff that'll play to his strengths, given a supporting cast that, I mean, this is a pretty good-looking supporting cast this year. I mean, if Josh Gordon manages to stay off of substances Mm. and and folks stay, stay healthy, you've got five or six legitimate weapons. You've got a pretty great offensive line man, what I wouldn't have given for, for Joe to stick around an extra year and get to see him block in the blind side. But if anybody has deserved to choose when he retires, it is certainly him. Uh, and I wish him the best now that he's done. So I, I'm just really excited about this draft. There, there have been other drafts that I've liked a lot. Um, but I think this one, we, we were set up for success. I, I think Sashi in the analytics front office set guys up for success. And Dorsey and the new crew, to their credit, certainly don't seem to have flopped at all. I'm I'm excited for the future.
0: That leads me into question number four, which is just John Dorsey. Do you believe in John Dorsey and this front office, given what you've seen so far, not just in the draft, but in the offseason? Do you feel like this is the group that could continue to put together a playoff caliber roster?
3: I'm going to say yes, overall. I'd still like to see more. Um, I'm kind of a show me the results type Mm -hmm. person. Uh, and I think that Dorsey's results have been kind of a little bit overstated, uh, in Kansas city. I look back at his drafts and they, they look good, but not great. Uh, and he kind of came in with that, uh, the reputation of being a great personnel evaluator, like one of the best in the league. And, and I'm not sure I see that in his results for the last five, six years. There's some, here. There's some um, misses in uh,
0: there. There's some misses, yeah. some hits, but certainly yeah. some misses. Yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I'd like to keep watching, but yeah, I'm definitely on board overall. I, I think they've done a good job so far. Um, you never agree with everything and that's okay. It's, it's all right. I, I'm sure I wouldn't have agreed with great moves that, People like Belichick have made in the past. It's about getting more right than you get wrong in the league, and so I'm I'm definitely willing to give them the time and uh, to to prove themselves, and and I think they will. I, I'm I, I'm very cautiously optimistic.
0: All right, last one, Jonathan. Just taking everything into consideration, just the overall talent level of the roster right now, and bring it all together. Hugh Jackson, John Dorsey, everything like do you do you feel this is that something is happening here? Do you see the seeds of a playoff team here or or do you feel do you feel like more like no, you know maybe it's it's progress from o1 sixteen, but they still have a long way to go or do you feel like it's closer? i I
3: definitely see the seeds. I have major questions about Hugh. And that is me eating crow because when Hugh was hired a couple of years ago, I was a fanboy. I was, you know, he had done, he had a good record his one year in Oakland. And Oakland has kind of had front offices that have been a mess on and off the last 15 years. I figured, well, maybe he just didn't get along well with the front office there. He did good things, obviously, with Andy Dalton down in Cincinnati. I was a huge fan of Hugh when he came in. And it just really has seemed the last couple of years that he shifts the blame onto anybody but himself, that, that when I, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm a leader, uh, and when we make mistakes as a church, And that happens because we're all imperfect and we all make mistakes. I've got to be the one who stands up and says, you know what? Other people might have been involved in this, but I'm the leader and I'm the one who has to Mm -hmm. take responsibility. And that means I have to be the one who eats crow and apologizes and acknowledges that I am not perfect and that I have messed up somehow. And I love seeing that in leaders because I think that kind of humility engenders a a desire to – A desire to compete, a desire to to work hard and and an understanding that it's okay to fail and we can admit that we fail and we can keep going and do better the next time. And I just haven't seen that out of you. He, He shifts the blame all the time. Um he, he doesn't seem to put his players in the best position to succeed. I mean, having a, one of the youngest rookie quarterbacks in twenty plus years, I think Kaiser was like the, the third youngest starting quarterback in the last twenty years of the NFL and he has him throwing a, a deep shot put offense, it, it never seemed to really click. Um it didn't seem like the receivers were running routes that fit their skills. I mean if you got have guys who have trouble have trouble getting uh, loose and creating separation, then why are you running them on vertical routes, do Mm -hmm. some crossing patterns, do something and so often it was a vertical offense with receivers that didn't seem to fit I feel like the coach's job should be to take the best – the front office gives you the best talent humanly possible, and the coaches find the way to put that talent together into something that works. And it seems like Hugh's idea is that the front office's job is to give him exactly what he wants for the type of scheme and system he wants to run. And. I'm just, I'm nervous about the coaching. I could be wrong. These are guys who have been doing it for a long time. I'm a JV football coach out here. Like, they know more than I do. Absolutely. But me as an outside person, I look on every Sunday and I just often felt like, I don't feel like these guys are being put in the best position to win. I, I felt like Duke Johnson was underutilized. I felt like, we, yes, our cornerbacks weren't the best in history, but they probably didn't need to play zone every single snap. They yeah. uh, just Jabril, Pe- Jabril Peppers, who was awesome in college at being an overhang edge defender from the strong safety position, probably shouldn't be playing 40 yards behind the line, line of scrimmage half the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, I, I see the seeds. I love the personnel, and, and, and there are things that I really like about it, and, and I'm just I'm having trouble seeing the current coaching staff being the ones to pull it out. I hope I'm wrong but but it, it, that is definitely my biggest hang up at this point cuz i think i think roster wise this really looks like a team that could easily go 7 and 9 9 and 7 and at least be in the conversation for a wild card spot late in the season but but i'm i'm just i don't know about the coaching
0: staff yep hard yeah. to argue uh, so jonathan you're out there in california you're a pastor you're busy on sundays i imagine how <laughs> yeah. how do you watch the browns if the browns are kicking off at at, at at 10 o'clock. Yep, 10 o'clock. California. And I don't get home
3: until at least 1. So yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do? I, D, I DVR it. I, I, I DVR it, and as soon as the notification comes up on my phone, uh for as for what the score is from google or whatever i immediately eliminate it so it stops showing me what the score is okay uh and the my my congregation knows not to tell tell me what happened if they were checking their phone uh, immediately after the service okay um and, and then i got to admit towards the end of the season i started actually checking the score to see if i wanted to go back and watch the whole game or if i should just watch watch the end of the game and Shake my head in sadness.
0: Okay. Wow. Okay. But so there's always like the joke of like people in church. You know, checking football scores or something. Yeah. The pastor can't really check a football score no, during no, the I service, cannot. right? No,
3: I cannot. I'm up in the front there. That'd be, uh, uh, that'd be pretty hard to disguise. Yeah. Not that I want to. I'll, it, it's something, like I said, it, it means a lot to me, but it's not my life. So so you find ways to get it in around the side of the stuff that you got to do.
0: I thought man, you, could, you could do one of those, we now bow our head in prayer, and when everybody <laughs> has their eyes closed, you get the phone out real quick. Man, this prayer's taking a I, long I, time. I'm a... I'm tough. At, I'm bad at multitasking, so it would be kind of hard. I would be afraid that partway
3: through I would just start reading the scores off, and, and that would give me away pretty
0: quick. Okay. Jonathan Dennis, thank you for taking time uh, out of your day to talk about the Browns. And uh, I, I'm promising people when we have you on here, if and when they make the playoffs, we'll have you back, and we'll talk some more about the Browns. But thanks for your help.
2: Absolutely. You have a great day, Doug.
0: And that's it for this takes, by the lake. Thanks to our fan guests. Natalie Chatham, Mike Zawalski, Jonathan Dennis, and a quick goodbye to our friend Bud Shaw, who is Com. He's been on this podcast a couple times. Um, great guy, great columnist, did a lot of things with him the last couple of years. We did our Bud vs. Doug videos. Uh, I'll miss doing that. I will miss doing that. He was a great guy to argue with. So, Best of luck to Bud Shaw with what is ahead for him um, and, uh, and he'll be missed and maybe we'll try to get him on this podcast although I don't think I can get him to talk to me if he's not being paid to do so we'll see all right guys thanks for listening I'm Doug Maurice. this was Takes by the Lake and we'll talk to you next time